Have you ever walked into a situation and asked the question, who's in charge here? Maybe you've, like me, have walked into your home after date night, or maybe it's been very, very quiet in one end of the house, and you're in the other, and you go, huh, what's going on? And you walk into the room or walk into the house, and you look around, and it's just a complete disaster, and, you know, one of your children has half of her hair cut off, and um, the other child is tied up to a bedpost or something like that, and you want to ask the same kind of question, what's going on? Who's in charge? You know, you're looking for things to get set right, or you're expecting things to be set right. And I, I've had a few of those experiences, um, say, in the Army, where you know, soldiers are doing the things that they do, a bunch of privates or specialists or whoever, and they're doing their thing, and then the first sergeant or an officer walks in and goes, what's going on here? Who's in charge? And there's one... There's one young NCO with just three little stripes and he's like, I guess that was me. Um, and suddenly, so it's, it's lay down the law. Let's get this right. Let's figure this out. Who's in, who's in charge? Who's got the authority in this situation? Well, um, the reality of our lives is that even when we think we're in charge and even when things are in order, even when all of your children are dressed and out the door and you get to where you go on and you're, you, where you need to go on time and you think, hey, this is a pretty good day. I've done a good job. Good job, Dad. Good job, Mom. You're not really in charge. We can kind of fool ourselves thinking that we're the one in charge, that we've got the authority, that we've got the power and, and we have done it. We're like Tom Hanks in the movie Cast Away. Fire! I've made fire! I have the power and all that. And we, we're so proud of ourselves. But beware. Beware. Because one day we're going to be confronted by the authority of Jesus. Who's really in charge? That's kind of the question that we're going to ask today. In fact, if, you're, if you have a bulletin, you flip to the back side, you'll see this wonderful title uh, in your bulletin, and it says, To Do Good or To Do Harm. And I changed that title this morning because I realized that's not what I'm going to emphasize in the message today. What I really want to emphasize today is this idea of being confronted by the authority of Jesus. And, and here's why I want to emphasize today that. That's because that's what the emphasis of the message is. That's what the emphasis of these six verses is. So we're going to focus on that today. Confronted by the authority of Jesus. Let's look at Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 today. And if you would, would you stand with me one last time? If you're able, stand with me one last time uh, before we start getting into the, the meat of this message. And um, let me read this aloud. Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, 
Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, in the next few minutes, may the, the uh, words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Here's a big idea I want us to look at today. When confronted by the authority of Jesus, we are either healed or hardened. You see that in this verse? Or in, the, in this passage, we, Jesus is confronting them. We find out in verse 6, it's the Pharisees that are the they of verse 2, and the them of verse 4, and the them of verse 5, and the, okay, the they of, of verse 4 again, etc. It's the Pharisees he's confronting with his authority, and their hearts are hardened, but a man goes away healed. When confronted with or confronted by the authority of Jesus, we are either healed or hardened. I want us to look at this passage um, and look at this theme, essentially following the story, following the, the, the chain of events, and sort of look at it through the, the lens of or through the actions of the Pharisees. The actions of the Pharisees. Look what they did at first. The Pharisees view Jesus' authority with suspicion. They view Jesus' authority with suspicion. They're looking to accuse Him there in verse 2. Now, at the beginning of this passage, we see Jesus. Is, Jesus is the He of, again, He entered the synagogue. And what has been happening up to this point? It, it's a new chapter in Gospel of Mark, but don't let the chapter numbers or the verse divisions or your little headings that are helpfully interrupting the flow of the story in our English versions. But uh, what has been happening up to this point? For the last four weeks, the last four messages uh, through the Gospel of Mark here at the River Church, we have been looking at uh, stories of conflict. It began back in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, where Jesus was questioned about forgiveness. Can Jesus forgive? Does He forgive? They accused Him of blaspheming. In the next passage, Jesus is calling a tax collector to follow Him, and then He's hanging out with them, and, and they're saying, well, He hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. What's He doing? And then, after that, the Pharisees were wondering, why isn't Jesus fasting like the rest of us? We, we fast once or twice a week. We follow these spiritual disciplines that have been passed down to us from our forebears. We do all of this. And then, 
in the last message, the last section of chapter 2, the disciples are plucking heads of grain with their hands. They're reaping, they're working on the Sabbath day. Oh my. So what ha- what's the deal here? It, we find uh, that Jesus is being accused of being a blasphemer. Jesus is accused of being a partier. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus is accused of being undisciplined. He doesn't care about prayer and fasting and reading his Bible and solitude and things like that. Boy, he's a bad Christian. He's accused of being a lawbreaker. He, he, he could care less about God's law. He's what, he's what the theologians call antinomian. That's a big word. You can impress people at those parties you go to. Antinomian. Against the law. He's accused of saying, oh, the law doesn't really matter. Just, just as long as you love each other. It's all good. That's what he's being accused of. He's been accused of all of those things. But the real heart of the matter is, the real reason they want to accuse him, they're looking for a reason. In fact, they're watching him to see whether he would heal this man with the withered hand. Maybe they invited, um, let's say his name is Joe. Joe the plumber. (laughs) How about that? Joe the plumber who, maybe he got in an accident. Maybe his hand was paralyzed. Or maybe he, maybe he had some kind of a nerve problem or a muscular problem. His hand withered up. If, if, we, if they use the, the term for withered, they use that adjective to talk about a, a plant, they might have said shriveled. It was shriveled up and it was died. It was dead. It was just kind of hanging on there, getting ready to be blown away. So he's got this hand, and Joe the plumber, you know, he can't really do his job anymore. He's been unemployed for for years maybe. Months, years, whatever. He's got this problem. He's in a desperate situation. And maybe they even invited him to come. Hey, Joe, the plumber, you should come to to synagogue this week. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, come on. on. I, I don't feel good. things haven't been going very well for me. You know, I I, I don't even know if I could even go in there. I've got this problem and maybe, I don't know if God will even accept me because I probably, he's probably the one who punished me for this. I don't know if all that was going on. I'm just totally speculating. But, But we do know that this man was there and they were watching Jesus. They were using it as an opportunity. What's he gonna do? Let's see if he heals him on the Sabbath day. Let's see if he breaks the law again. And so they view Jesus' authority with suspicion. One commentator, in looking at this passage and these verses, reflected this. I'm going to quote him. He said, For the conniving observer, is that maybe what the 
people here, they're conniving, suspicious, accusatory, the conniving observer. They're watching him. Proper religion is not about the intent of the heart, but about things that can be empirically tested and measured, about questions of theological correctness, matters of purity and fulfilling legal requirements. The observers are willing to tolerate the lamentable condition of another human being and in this instance to use it as possible leverage against Jesus. Here's a man in a desperate situation. Here's a man experiencing some kind of pain. Maybe, maybe there was physical and pain, pain involved, probably. But certainly the pain of having that, that infirmity keeping him from the purposes that God had for him. For, for, for fulfilling his role. For doing his job. Suspicion of God's grace to others causes blindness to the purposes of God and the pains of others. What was happening in this story, in all of the situations of conflict, there's somebody who's in need. There's a paralyzed man who needed healing, and Jesus healed him and forgave him. There was a, a, a tax collector whose sole purpose in life was to make more money at the expense of others, and Jesus called him out of that and said, no, you follow me, gave him a new purpose. There is fasting going on when they should have been feasting and celebrating the bridegroom, Jesus. There was need. The disciples were hungry. And instead of saying, hey, I'm glad your, your disciples are able to get something to eat, they're saying, how dare they work on the Sabbath day? And now here's a man with a withered hand. And they're resenting the grace that God could potentially do on him. And they're totally blinded to God's purposes, which is to bring wholeness to people. Have you ever experienced something like that? If you find yourself resenting others when they receive special treatment, in other words, grace, when you find yourself resenting others when they receive grace or they're forgiven and you go, well, that's just not right. That's just not just. They need to pay for that. When you resent others being accepted and invited when maybe you're not, if you are upset by others' lack of spiritual discipline, when you begin to think, gee, if only they would read their Bibles more, I do. If only they would show up to worship like I do. If you're upset by others breaking God's law, if you feel like you're not being recognized for your devotion to God, 
for your love of Jesus and other people, for your holiness, for your generosity, for your service and sacrifice, you might be a Pharisee. And if so, you're in good company. Because I stand before you as the greatest Pharisee in the, in the River Church. Because I'm guilty of all of those things. We, confronting with Jesus' authority, we have a choice here. We can either receive the healing that He has for us, or we can continue to harden our hearts towards Him and towards other people. We can continue to be blind to the purposes of God around us and the pains of other people and what they're dealing with. The Pharisees view Jesus' authority with suspicion. But look what happens next. They view Jesus' authority with silence. They have no words. They have nothing to answer. Jesus sees them. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what's going on. They don't even have to say it. Up until this point, it was questions in their mind. It was questions to the disciples. It was questions to Him and accusations against Him. And now, they don't even have to say anything. He knows. And so He says to the man with the withered hand, Come on up here. How would you like that? In the middle of the message, I said, Hey, you with the problem, come on up here. You're like, uh, no, thank you. Why are you pointing that out? That makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know what, what went on in the man with the withered hand's mind, but I'm sure he felt a little put on the spot. But what, is, uh, what does Jesus say? Then he, point, and he, then he says to, the, to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? or to do harm, to save life or to kill, but they are silent. They have nothing to say, nothing to answer. What if they said, well, to do good? Well, then they say, well, what's your problem with me healing this guy? That's good, isn't it? To do harm. Well, they would never say that. <laughs> and he looked around at them. And check it out. Every time, every time Mark says he looked around Jesus is about to say something important. So pay attention. Or he's about to say or do something important. And here's what Mark reveals. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And that's what Mark wants us to see. That he looked around at them and he's like, you guys have doggone hard hearts. What does that mean? Well... No compassion. no compassion. There you go. Okay, good. That was a rhetorical question, but thank you. No compassion. That's right. Well, Psalm 95 uh, is, a, is a, well, it's a wonderful psalm, like all, all 150 of them um, are wonderful psalms. And um, check this out. This is interesting. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Psalm 95, verse 6. 7. For 
Oh, excuse me. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Do you see how He provides? Come, let us worship the God who provides for us all good things. And the very next line is, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. There's a passage that we heard read earlier from the book of Numbers, and there's a similar story to that back in Exodus chapter 17, where the people are grumbling, questioning, God, do you care about us? We've got needs, we've got pains, we've got hurts, we're hungry, we're thirsty. The psalmist says, and the writer of Hebrews then quotes this passage and repeats it and says, they they had hard hearts against God. That's what they were doing. It wasn't that they were expressing their need. God, provide for this. No. They were hardening their hearts against God. God doesn't really care about us. It's like Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say, does God really care about you? Did he, does he really have your best interest at heart? I don't think so. You should disobey him. You should turn against him. You should rebel against him. Rebellion, resistance, yes, lack of compassion. It's all hardening of hearts. They hardened their hearts against Jesus. They hardened their hearts against a man in need. It, hey, they could have... They could have Uh, saved him. But no, they had decided all of those rules that we looked at last week, all those rules about the Sabbath. You can't do this. You can't do that. The Sabbath keeping was more important than mercy, more important than grace, more important than people in need. And Jesus, every word of his and every action of his violated their interpretation of the law. And so, of course, he's, he's called a lawbreaker. Everything about him. And the more he did it, the more people looked to him. The more he did it, the more people followed him. The more he did it, the more people were healed. And that was a threat to the Pharisees. A threat, a threat to their way. A threat to their own authority. So their hearts were hardened over and over and over again. Silence at Jesus' words. Silence at Jesus' words and actions hardens our heart and separates us from God. Or separates us further from God. They started out already suspicious of him, started out accusing Jesus, but they just kept hardening their hearts against him. So, check your heart today. See, here's the people. Here are the people who are most likely to have their hearts hardened pastors. Preachers, you guys, these guys who are going through this preaching class, about 10 men who are uh, there on Wednesday nights, pray for their hearts. 
Pray for their hearts. Oh, seminary students. <laughs> seminary students are prone to have hard hearts. Why is that? It's the, it's when, the more you're educated, the more success you have, the more, the more responsibilities you're given, the more, uh, the more f- faithful you are, the more religious you are, the more devoted you are, the more likely you are to develop a hard heart towards others and towards the grace of God. Because we start to think that it's all about us. Look who's in charge. Look what I've done. And it's nothing. Nothing. The more we resist Jesus, the harder our hearts become. And soon enough, we're not going to want to have anything to do with Him and His plans. So, would you do this for me? One, let the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say this too, and let others point out your sins and your shortcomings. Like uh, Wednesday night, um, I shared a, a, a brief message to, at the preaching class and then a, a couple of guys gave me some good feedback and I thought, well, I kind of did that because of this. I kind of did that because of that. And then I realized, you know what they're saying? Why they're saying the things they're saying? It's because there were shortcomings in my message. There were things that needed to be better and things that needed to be fixed. We get, so, we get so into justifying ourselves instead of saying, you're right. You're right. I need to fix that. I need to work on that. So while you're at it, then start confessing your sins to other people. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We have, okay, so we have a faithful high priest who stands before the throne and mediates for us. We don't need a priest to hear our confessions. But I, I will challenge you. If all you're doing is talking to God in your own heart about your sins and you're not talking about them with other people, I'll challenge you and say you're not confessing your sins. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just been my experience. And I'll say, I, I, me and Jesus, we got this. I'm working on this. But those sins that remain unconfessed, they just continue to harden our hearts. They keep, keep getting our hearts harder and harder and harder. So that way, so then when people ask you or say, hey, can, how can I pray for you? You go, oh, I'm good. I was talking about that, about that with a brother this week. Oh, I'm good. I don't need any prayers at this time. So what does that make me want to do, Justin? Makes me want to throat punch him. That's what I told him. Because it's not true. You're not good. You got problems. You got needs. So share those. But we, we, we get so worked up. Pride gets in the way. Our, we, we remain silent. And we let our hearts get hardened. Pharisees, they view Jesus' authority with suspicion, with silence, and then the last thing is they view Jesus' authority with scheming. We saw Jesus. 
healed a man. His hand was restored. He was good to go. He was healed. He was confronted with the authority of Jesus. And he was healed. But in verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately they held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. That's what that means. They held counsel. They plotted. They schemed. They connived. He said, we need to figure out a plan to destroy this guy. He's a threat. Pharisees and, and the Herodians. We've talked about the Pharisees a little bit, and yes, I'm giving them a hard time today. Even though they were, they were a lot like religious conservatives in this country. They were a lot like Christians who are trying to do good. There's nothing wrong with that. They were trying to obey God. There's nothing wrong with that. They were trying to keep His laws. There's nothing wrong with that. But, they had allowed that morality. They had allowed that work. They had allowed those good things to totally distort their view of God and others. And then when God shows up, they reject Him and they harden their hearts to Him. But the Herodians, who are these jokers? These are the people who, not, not, a, not an official party or an official um, Jewish sect, but they were these guys, they were kind of the informal um, uh, cheerleaders, of supporters of the Herods. Herod the Great, the guy who helped build the temple, the guy we see in Matthew uh, chapter 2, birth of Jesus, time period, the guy we see in Luke chapter 1, 2, one, two and 3. Um, again, the guy who was ruling when Jesus was born, he's been dead, long dead by now, and now his sons are ruling in various places all over Palestine. And the Herodians are supporting those guys. They're saying, we loved Herod the Great, and we want to support his, his sons as well. And so they're supportive of that dynasty, that family continuing on. And you know what else they're supportive of? They're supportive of the Romans. Because the Romans are the ones who gave the Herods their authority. And they gave them their power. And so, here's our, here are two people on off, opposite ends of the spectrum. You could say they're like, they're like Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> you know? They're, they're, they're kind of like that. They're totally on opposite sides of things. And what do they do? They held, they held counsel together. They said, you know what? We have a common enemy, Jesus. Let's, let's, let's take him down. So that's what they're doing. Jesus' authority threatens the authority of both of them. Both the very, the very political people and the very religious people. And they say, well, we're the ones with the power. You have no power here. It's kind of like in The Lord of the Rings. Two Towers, I don't know if you remember that. If you read that book or saw that movie. And what Gandalf comes in to Rohan and comes into the Golden Hall and I told you to take the wizard's staff and all of that. And Gandalf comes in and he says, you have no power or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out of here. Uh, uh, what, Saruman, right? But Saruman, what does Saruman say? You have no power here. Ah, Rohan is mine. 
No, it's not. At the end of the story, Saruman's staff is broken. He's got no power. He's got no authority. He's totally weakened and totally defeated. All he can do at that point is lie. And try to convince other people to follow his lies, but he has no other power. Jesus comes in, he says, I have the power, I have the authority, I'm the one in charge. You don't have power, you think you have authority, you think you have power. I can just hear the Pharisees and the Herodians. Galilee is mine. Judah or Judea is mine. Jesus says, No. 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 I'm the king. And here's what Jesus does. In John 10, verses 17 to 18, he says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. What were they doing, the Pharisees and the Herodians? What were they trying to do? They are scheming to destroy Jesus. But here's the deal. No scheming of ours or others can change Jesus' own scheme to lay down his life to save us. That's what Mark is doing right here. He's saying this little, this little verse, this little scene is pointing the way to the cross. Right here at the beginning of the gospel. I mean, we're still in the beginning of the gospel of Mark. We're still trying to get our way out of it. And all of these confrontations and these conflicts are thrown in here at the beginning to show us and, and Mark's readers that Jesus was all about going to the cross. And so the rest of his ministry is, is conducted in the shadow of that cross. But the thing about it is it didn't take him by surprise. It wasn't something that he was going, oh no, they're trying to arrest me. Oh no, they're trying to beat me. Oh no, they're trying to kill me. He laid it down of his own accord. In Mark 10 verse 45, uh, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to Excuse me, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, the Apostle Peter is preaching, preaching to the people after Pentecost. They're all going, what's going on here? And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Whose scheme was it? It wasn't the Pharisees and the Herodians. It wasn't Pilate and the Sanhedrin. Those, these people we'll, we'll see later on in the story. It was Jesus. No scheme 
of ours or other people, even, even when others plan evil for us, God has a way of making it good. Well, here we are at the end of this story. And Jesus and the Pharisees and even the Herodians, they're enemies. They're enemies. The conflict has come to a climax in the story and has resolved out into this new situation in which they're not just going, hey, what's going on? What's this new teacher all about? They're going, this guy is a threat to us. Who's in charge here? Pharisees were trying to say, I am. But Jesus came to say, no. I'm the king. I'm the one with the absolute authority. Well, it's not just at the end of the story, it's not just the Pharisees and Jesus who are enemies. Because if the story here, in Mark's intention, is to point us forward to the passion, the suffering of Jesus, the cross and His death, if that's His intention here in the story, He's pointing us to an enmity that is not just Pharisees and Jesus. It's you and God. Me and God. It's we who are enemies with God. It's we who are at enmity with Him. And Jesus did all of this so that we would no longer be enemies. So that's why in Romans chapter 5, Paul says, therefore we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. When, when we were still sinners, when we were still enemies of the cross, enemies of Jesus, Christ died for us. He did that to bring us to Him. So, where, where are we going to stand on this? Confronted by the authority of Jesus. Where are we going to stand? Are we going to be hardened by that confrontation? Or are we going to be healed by it? The man who came withered, let me just say this. It probably took... It, there's not a lot told, said about... Mark, in, in most of his, these passages, he's a man of few words. He doesn't say a lot about this man with a withered hand. But think of the faith that it must have taken to stand up. <laughs> to obey and go, this is a man with authority, I'm going to do this. And walk out of there with his life back. And that's what he's offering to you and me and to, pe to the people around us. When we face Jesus' authority, that's what we have offered to us. The closer you get to Jesus with a hard heart, the more you will find His authority threatening you. But the closer you get to Jesus in faith, the more you will find His authority to be a source of strength, of comfort, of healing, of purpose. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. 
Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. That power is his authority to confront us, to confront our sin, and to confront our self-righteousness. Will you come to him? Do not resist him any longer. Come to him. Whether you have been walking in self-righteousness for a long time and you need to get on your knees and repent of that, or whether you've been walking in rebellion against him and said, I don't want to do what you want me to do, Jesus. I don't want your ways for me. I don't want to, to confess my sins. I don't want you to do anything in my life. He, he is here for you. Respond, would you, today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you. We give you glory. We ask that this morning that you will... Well, God, I I thank you because I know you've already worked. You've already worked in me. You've already spoken to me. And I know you have spoken to those of us here that are gathered today. So So now, God, I pray that we'll respond in faith to whatever it is that you are calling us to. Lord, let us not harden our hearts as your people did long ago and as, as oh, so tragically your people have done years and years and, and many times and in many places and we have as well, God. Lord, let us not harden our hearts any longer but to come to you and receive what you have to offer us for your glory and for our good and our joy and our, and our healing and and your purpose is to be done in us. And especially in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.